Are you thinking of taking a leap and stepping outside your comfort zone in pursuit of a new job or a new educational path? Then you will not want to miss my conversation with Brooke Wheeler. Brooke's journey reminds us of the importance of listening to our ancestors, seeking education, and being open to new opportunities. Her transformation from a young girl with a passion for sewing to a successful environmental educator for youth showcases how following your passion can lead you to unexpected places, such as working on the sets of major movies. But despite her success, Brooke never lost sight of her values and stayed true to her roots. Get ready to be inspired as Brooke shares her personal story, including the highs and lows she faced on her way to becoming an environmental educator for youth at the Burial of Land Management. With her passion for giving back to the community, this conversation is sure to resonate with anyone who values making a difference in the world around them. And now, let's have Brooke introduce herself. Well, first, uh, I have to introduce myself as every Navajo has to introduce themselves as it is customary. And we were taught from a very young age, you know, you know, get out there and introduce yourself in your language. So, uh, so basically, I just introduced myself and my clan. So I am on maternal side is Tower House and paternal side is Tangle Clan. I'm also of the Ipo people in um, Nigeria. So I, I am both indigenous. So it's it's really cool to be able to be in the position that I am in today. I am I work for the Bureau of Land Management, and that is a federal agency under the Department of Interior. So we manage 240 million acres of public land, and I put that in quotation marks, uh, public land. And in my role, I work here in Arizona and Phoenix, and I am the state youth environmental education and volunteer lead. I also take on the partnership and interpretation roles as well. So basically what I do is the policies or the laws that are passed by Congress for those programs, I go ahead and uh, help create policy that is implemented on the field for our offices to go ahead and utilize when they are working with the public and managing public lands and volunteers. So yeah, that's that's kind of a little bit about me and, and my job, but um, I also want to kind of talk about like I'm where I'm from. I am from Tupa City, Arizona, uh, and if there's any Navajos listening, hi, I'm from Tupa City. Um, and so I grew up in Tuba. Well, I, I'm a an army brat or air force brat, and uh, I traveled around with my family for the good portion of my life. But then my father retired, and then we went back to my mom's home place, which is on the Navajo reservation on in Tuba City. So that's where I lived around junior high up to up to high school, and I graduated there from Tuba Public High. And uh, I never, ever, ever thought that I would be where I am today. I was very much a res bunny, as they say. And I just wanted to stay home and kick it with my cousins. And yeah, I just never thought I'd be in this place and space that I'm at today. Yeah, that's so interesting that, you know, the role that you have and, and where you started. And like you say, you, you couldn't imagine you getting there, but you did, right? Uh, what did that, that path look like? Because let's say that somebody that is interested in maybe following uh, the footsteps of your career, uh, how, how would you say that uh, your story uh, played out and then maybe things that kind of help you along the way? Oh, wow. <laughs> like I said, I just could not imagine being here. I didn't even know that the position that I'm in actually exists. Um, and honestly, I had no, when I was in high school on the res, I had no idea what the Department of Interior was. I had no idea that there were federal um, agencies managing these mass amounts of public lands. And so if, you know, if I look back on today, I just be um, back in the day, I'd be just like, wow. <laughs> um, so I guess my journey here is full of ups and downs. Um, I didn't set out to come here. I wasn't one of those people like my sister. She's like, I want to be a nuclear engineer. And she did it. Uh, for me, it was a completely different course of action. I um, 
I ended up, you know, after I graduated from high school, um, kind of just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. My mom was a huge, my mom was a huge influence in my life. Uh, she was very um, adamant that we go to college because my mom went to college. My mom, um, my mom is Navajo. And so she was in the boarding school system. She was also on the LDS placement program. And she and her father told her that she should go get an education. And that's why he sent his kids off to boarding school and in, in the um, public, you know, public schools uh, in Utah on the placement program. And that was instilled into my mother, that importance of education, education. So every single day of my life, I heard you're going to go either to the military or you're going to either go to college. And uh, I chose college, <laughs> luckily, but I really had no clue what I wanted to do. And I was the worst student. I seriously C's and D's through middle school, through high school, because I'm neurodivergent. So I have ADD and I didn't really understand what was going on with my brain and why I could not focus and I could not you know, settle down. So I really struggled with school. And so by the time I graduated, I had no plan whatsoever. I kind of uh, fell into a group of kids that, you know, all we were doing was hanging out, cruising on the weekends. I had a boyfriend, you know, all that life. And um, so when I was in high school, I also was involved in band and theater and theater gave me the opportunity to learn how to develop a talent that um, my, I, my mom taught me, which was to sew. So since my mom knew how to sew, everyone knew that my mom knew how to sew. They said, Brooke, you're going to be costumes in theater. So I ended up uh, doing all the costumes in theater and I got a scholarship. I actually got several scholarships to go to U of A where I ended up going. And uh, it was just like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I got the scholarship. Okay, I'm going to go do it. And I <laughs> I will tell you that was the scariest thing I've ever done. One of, one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life is to leave my home and go to college because I, that's all I knew was the res. Um, I, I, my whole family was there. My friends were there. I mean, a lot of my friends stayed on the reservation. They, they, and they, you know, they're still there and they're living their lives and what have you. But for me to go away from that place of security of my family and my homeland was, I can't even describe it. It just felt like a baby being ripped out from their mother. Um, and so I ended up going to U of A, having no clue what the heck I was doing and ended up dropping out the first year. And I think that's a prop. That's one of the issues that indigenous students face today is going to college off the res and then, you know, being bombarded with this whole new culture that, um, you know, and, and faces that don't look like them and not having that security and those resources that they did back at home. And so, you know, you know, what, what do you expect to happen? And so back in that day, um, you know, U of A didn't have a robust um, American Indian uh, student center as they do now. But I really, I really suffered that first year and I flunked out bad. Um, and so that kind of just led me down this trajectory of just like, what am I doing with my life? I went, ended up going back to the res um, and just feeling like an absolute failure because everybody was just like, yay, Brooke's going to do something. We never thought she would achieve anything, but you know, and then here I come back a year later and I'm like, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, it just felt like a failure. And on top of that, on top of that, I was pregnant at the same time. So I was kicked out of school. Well, I wasn't kicked out of school. I flunked out of school and I was pregnant at the same time. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I just felt like, okay, I guess I'm staying on the res. And, you know, a lot of my friends had kids out of high school or in high school. And I was like, I guess this is going to be my life from now on. It's just, you know, selling stuff at my mom's store or, you know, trying to find a job at Bashes. <sighs> just looking back on it, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I was in a really tough place there. And as you can see, <laughs> back then I had no clue where I would end up now. But that 
that message my mother taught me and my grandfather reiterated was you have to go to college. You have to go to college. You have to get an education. That is the only way you're going to, you know, um, uh, help your people because that's a huge value of mine that we're, we're brought up to, you know, to uh, do is just to go back and help our communities and to also uplift myself, but also uplift my, my child, my son. Um, so I stayed on the res for a couple of years. I worked as much as I could, but I also decided to go to Diné College, which is a tribal college there on the Navajo Reservation. Um, still had no idea what I was doing with my life, but still listening to those voices of getting an education. Um, it wasn't easy because my, my mother went to college way back in the day and she had no, back then they didn't have FAFSA. They didn't have that financial age. They didn't have all those scholarships. I have no idea how she went to school, but school is definitely cheaper for her than it was for me. And uh, I had to do all that navigating by myself. I had to learn about the financial aid system. I had to learn about writing scholarships. I mean, I started from ground zero. I was spending, you know, I had my son with me and I would go to the Tuba City Library and check out big books on scholarships and try to read, you know, how to get scholarships, how to get grants for school and how to succeed in college. Because obviously I flunked and I was having a hard time in school. And uh, so I was taking these courses at Danette College, just my general education courses. And uh, on top of that, I was, you know, doing all the scholarship work and what have you. And I ended up I ended up moving to to Phoenix with my sister because I had just finished all my courses at at Danette College and I had nowhere else to go. Um, And so I just said, you know what? My sister graduated from high school. I'm going to piggyback on you. (laughs) I called her. I was like, hey, we're coming down. (laughs) Make room for us in her little tiny apartment as she was going to ASU. And me and my son just worked. I mean, I worked, worked, worked. And, you know, I had my son in childcare and um, took classes when I could at Mesa Community College, where I ended up um, getting a degree uh, in general education once again. And this is where my life I mean, I was still on the trajectory where I have no clue what I'm doing, but still that voice, get an education. Um, and this is where things things kind of took off. I, Since I knew how to sew and since I had a background in costumes way back in the day, I started working for the theater there in Mesa Community College. And I got to meet a lot of people in the theater industry and they one of my one of my teachers who is so influential, I can't um, uh, Mr. Barnes, he he was so influ- influential in my life that he told me that I could do anything that I ever wanted. And this was something different than I, what I heard growing up. It's like you're going to college, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a teacher, you're going to do something that you know you can go ahead and come back to the res and um, get a job. And I, he was the one who said to me, whatever you're going to do, you can go ahead and use those skills and those tools in order to uplift your community. And that was, that was groundbreaking for me. And so uh, I really had an interest and this was the first time that I started to explore interests that I was interested in instead of interests that somebody else was interested that would, you know, like the doctor and engineer, because I was not doing well in those courses. Um, and so Mr. Barnes said to me, you know, I think you have, I think you have a talent for film because you're right. You really, really get engaged with when we talk about film and media, especially when it comes to indigenous people and the representation of indigenous people in film. And, uh, cause I was, I was always arguing with people in class, like that's racist. Why is, why is, you know, Dustin Hoffman wearing that uh, red paint? And, you know, I was really going to town and, and arguing with people about the importance of indigenous people representing and telling their own stories. So he, Mr. Barnes said, you know, there's this, um, film school over at Scottsdale Community College. Maybe you should think about going over there and maybe, uh, maybe that's your path. So I did. I enrolled that next semester 
I went to Scottsdale Community College where I ended up graduating, finally, graduating after being in like community college forever, ended up graduating with my um, associates in sciences in film studies. And um, while I was doing all of this, I was working in theater. So I was still doing costumes. And also I got into film. A lot of the people I went to school with, they were working in film. And so they needed someone who was doing costumes and who knew how to sew. And I kind of got ushered into this whole world of film and costumes and theater. And before you know it, while I was going to school, I was also doing this other work on the side. So I got called to work on films like Terminator and The Surrogates and all sorts of, you know, um, Transformers and all sorts of films. And <laughs> see, it's like, see, this path is not going where I am today. And it's so weird. Um, anyways, so I started working in film and theater and uh, I, 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 I liked what I was doing, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was the, my, my purpose in life. It felt like, well, I still need to give back to my community. And how is this giving back to my community? Um, and so my son was growing up and I was trying to navigate my career in film and theater, working wherever I could. I was always gone a lot. Um, I had relatives and my son's father watching um, Ethan, my son. So I had to make a decision. I'm like, I need to be doing something that is, you know, resonates with me. And this is, this is fun. This is cool. Yeah. You have an IMDb, whatever, but I need to do something that is for my people. Um, and also the, another turning point was that movie, uh, that one with Johnny Depp Johnny and he Depp. won. Uh, the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger, yes, yes. So this is at the time where that movie came out and it was being filmed on the Navajo Res. And um, I was asked to work on that film. And I did not feel okay with that. I did not feel okay with that. This was a time when there I was being asked consistently to be working on films uh, that were about the stereotypical in Hollywood engine, if you will. And I refused to do those um, those films. I refused to work on them as a in costumes or in any shape or form. And so when that movie came about, and um, I said absolutely no. The girl I was working with um, who sponsored me um, said to me, you're not going to work ever again if you turn down this film because it's so huge. And I said, I refuse. I will not work on this at, that I feel like in my soul is against in my indigenous values. So uh, after that, I didn't get a lot of work. And um, that was I was fine with that because I stayed true to who I was. And that gave me the opportunity to go back to school. That little voice, right? That you had, get education. That voice came back, right? <laughs> right, right. That voice, get an education. I swear, that voice was not only my grandfather, but was my ancestors. It just, get an education. And I went back to school. I ended up getting my anthropology degree and indigenous studies degree at ASU. Um, I was very interested in culture. I was very interested in the human condition. I was very interested in what makes humans humans. And um, it was the it was the major that was made for me because I was just I felt I felt I found my passion. I I had the American Indian Studies courses that gave me the opportunity to learn more about Indian policy, Indian law, and, and indigenous history around the world. I had no clue about some of the things like the Marshall Trilogy, no clue about that. They don't teach you those Supreme Court cases in high school. They don't tell you that you are stewards, you're not stewards, wards of the federal government and that we have quasi sovereignty. They never teach you that stuff. So this was the first time I was, my mind was being expanded. And I'm like, whoa, so this is why we had the Bennett freeze. So this is why we don't have running water and electricity. This is why we have dirt roads. And this is why we don't have taxes that come back to our you know, communities. They go somewhere else. Um, 
I learned all this stuff and it opened my eyes incredibly. And uh, I decided that right then and there, I was, my focus was to be integrated in some sort of public administration or what have you, or, or um, museums or because the anthropology portion, because I wanted to help you write the narrative. I also wanted to help change people's perspectives of indigenous people and also wanted to help in public policy. So I was still all over the place. And uh, (laughs) um, I, I, I decided that every summer of my undergrad, I was going to do an internship. And uh, this wasn't easy because I was still raising my son and I was still, you know, um, going to school. So I had to juggle both of those. And those are extremely difficult and working at the same time. I was working a full-time job at um, the Salt River Elementary School there on the Maricopa Salt River um, Indian community. So I was doing all this stuff at the same time. And I was very fortunate that my job at Salt River allowed me to have summers off. It also allowed me to have flexibility to go to school in the night, in in the evening. And it also gave me um, the opportunity to, you know, see my son more often. Um, And so every summer I took an internship and I was very fortunate to find internships that paid for everything. So there are internships out there, especially for Indigenous youth and Indigenous students to have their boarding, their travel, uh, to get paid a stipend, all of that. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so there are still opportunities like that out there. Um, I was able to get a lot of internships every summer with the federal government. I got an internship with the National Archives, uh, where I was opened up to the world of Indigenous participation in the creation of America. I mean, I actually got to hold treaties. I actually got to hold, you know, important documents and policies that changed the face of Indian country. Um, I also got to see president executive orders of the removal of indigenous people off of their lands. Um, So I was able to work in that area and then also bring attention to a lot of the things that indigenous people have been doing to um, in America, such as um, the expeditions to the North Pole Indigenous people have been at the North Pole since time immemorial, but yet, you know, Colin, um, uh, white settlers have been, you know, racing up to the North Pole and, and their stories are being told, but then our stories weren't. So I was able to help tell those narratives of the people, Indigenous peoples of that era in that my internships. I also had an internship with the BIA where I worked with um, the Office of Self-Governance, Um, Sherry, she's one of my mentors Um, with the Office of Self-Governance. I learned more about the uh, tribal tribes relationships with the BIA, that painful history, but also um, the changes that are happening, the changes that still need to happen. Um, I also worked for other federal agencies and I got to work for the Smithsonian, the National Museum of the American Indian, um, where it was it was literally my playground. I was able to, you know, help on exhibits. I was able to help on education initiatives. I was able to sit down with tribal elders and tribal members as they told their stories that were later going to be incorporated into the museum. Um, I got to hold collections and collections, material culture, as they call it, but you know, sacred objects that hold such significance to the tribes that uh, that um, NAMI, as it's called, the museum, holds on to and um, helps preserve. Uh, and so all of these experiences, man, they helped me become the person that I am. All these internships and my education kind of shepherded me. It was just kind of like this guy, it was slowly guiding me to where I needed to be today and the work that I'm doing today. And then uh, Obama got elected. And this was a huge turn, another turning point in my career, because when I saw him elected and my son was with me, my son was about 10, 10 years old, and he was, he jumped up as soon as they called it, you know, Obama was elected, yay! And he collected all these Obama cards and everything, and Obama really, like, inspired me to be a part of change. And I just graduated 
And I was like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? I have all this knowledge, all this experience. What am I going to do with it? And then uh, Obama got elected. And then I decided I'm going to go into public administration. I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to go into public policy. I am, this is what I'm going to do. And so I did. I, (laughs) and let me tell you, it was difficult. None of this stuff happened. It was very easy. I'm telling you, I struggled. My son and I were eating ramen and hot dogs. I mean, it was, it was a tough life as I was trying to figure out what I was trying to do and trying to encourage myself as I'm getting my education and finding my role, and then also encouraging my son, you know, instilling in him the same thing that was taught to me, get an education, get an education. And uh, I ended up going to ASU again, getting my master's in public administration and also another master's in nonprofit management. Um, And again, doing internships, internships, I worked at the Maricopa County Treasurer's Office. I did records management for them. I ended up working for the town of Gilbert here, doing other um, public policy sort of things. I ended up working at the Arizona State Capitol for the House of Representatives for the Democratic Party. And I learned so much through them. Um, I worked in the area of natural resources and environmentalism. And that was, you can kind of see the path now. That was my introduction into my career today. And it was my work with um, the House of Representatives that I got to meet tribal members, you know, um, big wig governors and presidents. I got to sit down with some of um, some very influential people in indigenous environmental advocacy groups. Uh, I got to work with Albert Hale, who was a member of the House of Representatives at that time. And he actually came to my graduation. That was so special for me. And so I I ended up graduating and I applied for an internship through the Bureau of Land Management. And I didn't think I had a shot. I mean, the the description was, you know, you had to have such and such experience working in natural resources. You had to have a degree in recreation. You had to have all these criteria. And I just said, I'm just going to apply. We'll see what happens. And I am like, I have nothing else to lose. I, you know, I'm graduating. So let's just do this. And then I got a call. I got a call saying, hey, we'd like to interview you for this position to work with the director of the BLM in Washington, D.C. And I ended up getting the job. I ended up getting the job to work as an intern there at the BLM for Neil Cornsey as an intern with the Washington office. And that summer... I just dove deep into natural resource policy environmentalism. I already had a little bit of knowledge. I had a whole bunch of knowledge on Indian policy and uh, and law, but I was able to integrate that into this new this new field of in, in natural resource environmental you know laws and policies. So I learned a lot there. And this internship that I have, and I'm actually now I help promote this internship program. Um, the direct hire program has a um, has a direct hiring status after it. So when you complete your summer internship, you are able to be directly hired into the federal government. And if if you know anything about the federal government and jobs, it's so hard to get in. But this allows students to get their foot in the door to be directly appointed to a position. And I was entering the end of my internship and I had no job. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna go home. I have student loans and I have a kid to feed. What am I gonna do? (laughs) And I saw the BLM director, Ray Suazo, walk across the hall. He was going to see Neil Cornsey there in in Washington, DC. I ran so fast because you know I'm from Arizona and I knew I saw Ray and I was like, Ray. Hi, I'm Brooke Wheeler. <laughs> and please know I'm an introvert. So that was really, that was really difficult for me, but you know, everything was on the line. So he stopped and I shook his hand and I'm like, I'm Brooke Wheeler. I just graduated. Um, I'm from Arizona. I'm indigenous. This is what I'm about. Can I, can I, um, uh, can I, can we have a cup of coffee? And he's like, yeah, after he was kind of taken back and he's like, okay, sure. After my meeting with Neil. So after his meeting with Neil, we went down to the Department of Interior cafeteria and had some coffee and man, was I nervous. This was my shot. So I basically spewed out my resume. 
I told him about all my um, expertise and sustainability, environmentalism, American Indian policy, what have you. Um, and then he just listened to me. And I told him what my values were. I told him what I was about. And I told him that it's very important for me as an indigenous person to have a position that I'm able to work with my people and also help my people at, at the same time. And so he's like, okay, I think I have a position for you. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we have this initiative, a sustainability initiative, and it works directly with native with youth. So you could be working with native youth, uh, volunteers and environmental education. And I was just, I was like, are you, are you serious? He's like, yeah, yeah. Actually this position just opened up. Uh, we haven't put it on the street yet, but yeah, I think you'd be perfect for it. He's like, send me your resume. And I did. And he's like, yeah, you're perfect for it. And uh, within six weeks, I was hired as the BLM state youth lead youth environmental education and volunteerism lead wow that's amazing what's yeah. the story <laughs> yeah that's a, isn't that a ride from yeah. a res bunny to the where i am now working in film with directors and oh, actors and producers to working in government with the same kind of type of people it seems like but yeah it, it i felt like i was being guided to the place where i am now and all of the things that I, I do um, in my position are things that I help Indigenous students with. So finding them internship opportunities, um, finding them um, resources for scholarships. I do that on the side. But resources for scholarships, how to write scholarships, because um, one thing about me is I'm very resourceful. Uh, my whole school uh, education cost about $220,000 from undergrad to graduate school. I ended up raising 185, no, $190,000 of that through scholarships. So I helped students um, write scholarships, um, um, essays and internship essays. And I also help indigenous students try to, you know, mentor them. Uh, if they have, a, if they're interested in archaeology, I hook them up with archaeologists. If they're interested in, you know, uh, public law, I, I hook them up with our solicitors. I, that's what I do in my position. I love the position that I, I'm, I'm in right now. Um, I get to work with, you know, NICALC. And through that, I got to meet you uh, through Unity. And I got to meet uh, some of the Unity students, like especially Steven. Shout out to Steven if he hears this, because I love him. Um, and just working with Indigenous youth, it fulfills that core value of mine of giving back to my community. And um, they inspire me 100%. They, every single time I get to interact with, with students and talk about the many programs that we have or internships or what have you, they inspire me to get back up there and keep doing the work that I'm doing. Because it's not easy being the only indigenous Native American youth lead in the history of BLM. <laughs> it's not easy, you know, being in a division. And I love all my coworkers. My co my coworkers are amazing, but I am the only Native American there. And it's it's not easy. If, if I had a dollar for every time I had a say in a meeting, what about Indian country? What about the indigenous populations? I, I'd be rich. So that's that's my story. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing story and, and I'm so inspiring. And I hopefully a lot of people will listen to it and, and see that they too can achieve things. And uh, let me ask you, have you ever thought about writing a book about your story? No. No. Well, no. if you ever do, I want you to come back on the podcast and talk about your book first place, okay? What? What? Yeah, I think I think it would be a great great book. So, if you ever uh, decide to write one, uh, we'd be happy to support you here on the on the podcast. Oh, wow. Well, first I'm going to have to check with Oprah and then yeah. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that that is something that I do in my position and um, 
you know, my side, my side hustle, which is not really a hustle. I just help students get into college. Um, is that what I passed down is what Mr. Barnes told me. You can be anything that you want to be. I had no clue about the, you know, like I said, the department of interior, these positions and natural resources. And it's so important for indigenous youth to be involved in this movement because indigenous people have been, as we said before, you know, the stewards of this land since time immemorial. And it, we should be at the forefront of the solutions for climate change. We need to be at the, at the table because we built the table. Okay. So I, I'm always empowering indigenous youth that we need to be out there. Our voices need to be heard. And it's very difficult. It is very difficult, especially when you're just used to, you know, working around with your family or your friends. And it's a whole different world when you're working with non-indigenous peoples. Um, and those are skills that I, I really feel that, you know, we, it's skills that you really have to kind of learn and it's, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I even have sometimes hard time transitioning between, you know, going for my, for my family and then I have to go back to work and then it's a two different languages. Yeah. Um, code switch, but, I think is called. Yeah. Code switching. Yeah. And it, it is difficult, but you know, it, it's worth it. And, um, I, I, I just want to say that you can do anything that you put your mind to. There are resources out there. And most, most importantly, you have ancestors behind you. You have ancestors who are rooting for you. And I really feel like my ancestors, you know, really like guided me to where I am today. I, I feel their presence always. Um, whether it's, you know, when I'm sitting by the fire or when I'm talking to elders in my positions or what have you, I feel their presence. And even when I was at my lowest, when, you know, I had papers due, I had no food on the table, um, you know, my rent was due, um, you know, and I was just praying to ancestors, please, 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 please help guide me, please. Um, they were there for me. And uh, yeah. That's I'm beautiful. just so very thankful. That's that's very beautiful, and and thank you so much for uh, sharing mm -hmm. that with us. No problem. And uh, it makes me wonder, uh, and this might be kind of coming from left field, but when you were sewing those costumes, is there one that you were proud of, like a costume that you made that you remember like the most from from your history of sewing? Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, we did we did a Shakespeare. Shakespearean play, um, Much Ado About Nothing. And I had to learn to make a Renaissance gown uh, for several of the casts. And um, one of them in particular was, uh, I think the love interest uh, started with a B, can't remember her name, but it was a very beautiful gown and I hand sewed pearls on there and lace. I learned how to make lace and everything. I was very proud of that dress. I wish I could have that dress. Um, I have pictures of it, but that was one of those dresses that it was, it was seriously Hollywood quality. I have to say. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that makes me think because sometimes uh, we have certain things that we like to do, you know, maybe we like to draw Maybe we like to play an instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we like to do talks, in your case, sewing. Like super random things that we do for fun, right? Mm -hmm. And when a situation comes where we, we need to progress in our life with school or career, and that one thing that you did that you didn't really pay attention to it, it comes back in a full force and, and open doors for you. I think that's such a phenomenal thing that as a youth, you, you, you don't pay attention to it. You're like, you know what? I just I just play the guitar for fun, right? Mm -hmm. And then one time comes and then that that thing that you do, it, it, it will propel you, right? So it's sometimes like, I think uh, as, as indigenous youth or youth from uh, underserved communities, we, we try to find our place in the world and we, we have that one thing that may, maybe makes us weird, maybe makes it different <laughs> than other people, right? But mm -hmm. 
but then if we we rely on that skill, rely on that 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 done, uh, we say in Spanish, uh, done a gift. Uh, we rely on that that can propel us, right? And it's just really like listening to to yourself and 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 going in. I think your story is such a great example of that of you enjoying sewing and and in a way sewing start opening doors for you, the film doors. And, mm-hmm. and 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 careers and scholarships and and so much from from sewing right like it's just a needle to 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 movies and to to where you are now well that's the title of my my book from <laughs> needle to movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no you're absolutely right it was it was a skill that my grandmother had that actually she my grandmother made her own clothes so she my grandmother my grandma Chubby, my grandma Caroline, who I'm named after my middle name, she never went to school. And so I believe the story was that when um, uh, the the BIA, the BIA um, people came to for her, that her mom hit her, hit her in a well. And so they, they kept coming and she just stayed in the well until they left. And my grandmother never went to school, but she had to learn other skills to kind of, you know, um, to bring money in for the family. So she learned, she, she sewed, she sewed traditional outfits. Um, she also weaved Navajo rugs that she sold at the trading post. And that skill of sewing was passed down to my mother and my mother ended up using that skill, um, to open up a fabric store and alteration business in Tuba city. And, uh, that I had no choice. I have to preference that I had no choice about learning how to sew that was already designated for me. My mom made sure that we didn't have any summers. We were staying in the store and we were sewing, you know, traditional outfits and prom gowns and what have you. So, um, that was definitely a skill that I never, ever thought would bring me money and, you know, give me a sense of um, purpose, open up a whole community to me. Um, and was really a lot of my bread and butter going through school. So, yeah, you're right. Those those skills, you never know. Even learning how to do laundry. I was doing the rich kids laundry there at U of A just to make money. And they had no clue how to how to do their own laundry. So you never know what skills you have can make be that side hustle. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the uh, Earth Ambassadors and uh, Steve yes. Harvey, uh, mm-hmm. such uh, an amazing uh, person. Uh, and that's where we met, right? We met on the Unity Conference. Mm-hmm. Can you tell a little bit about the, uh, that experience and leading to the Native Youth Climate Adaptation Leadership Congress? It's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of words. Trust me, I and I know it's NICALC, as we call it. But um just a, just some background information. NICALC is a um, a one week Congress in West Virginia. It's in uh, Shepherdstown, West Virginia, at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service National Conservation Training Center. And what the per- purpose and mission is is to bring Indigenous youth, high school students, and college students to Shepherdstown for this one week, and to teach them leadership skills and other types of you know indigenous. Uh, integrating indigenous knowledge with Western science in order to um, uh, develop projects and solutions um, to to address climate change in their communities. That's it's a long winded thing, but um, they learn so much and they put they put together projects. They also learn about um, working on the land. They learned about, you know, different environmentalist uh, issues and what have you. And um, so I've helped promote that for my position. Uh, we BLM sponsors college students. So if you got any college students out there who are interested in coming to NICALC, uh, you don't have to have a degree in environmentalism or sustainability because every position is important uh, to the livelihood of our communities. So if you're interested, let me know. But uh, that's what got me to Unity. So a lot of people ask me, how do you work with indigenous people? How do you how do you build those trusts and partnerships? Even for me, it's difficult. It takes time. And I've been trying to get my foot in the door with Unity for so long. <laughs> and finally, after, I don't know, four years, <laughs> I uh, they invited me to the conference. And I was like, yay, we, we're, we're in, we're in. And so uh, with being able to uh, connect with you and the Earth Ambassadors, and a few of them applied, uh, Steve was definitely one of them. It came to NICALC 
And uh, Steve and the junior faculty, the college students that that we have to help mentor the high school students there um, was just phenomenal. I cannot allot that kid enough. Um, brought about so many changes and ideas. Um, and so NICALC is youth driven and youth are important in this movement. And as I mentioned, to provide solutions for climate change. So Stephen was right there at the forefront, um, providing a lot of insight to our staff about how we can do better outreach, how we can partner with indigenous youth. Um, that kid's a leader. I'm telling you, he's a leader. He's he's going to be, I keep telling him he's going to be president one day, you know, uh, um, but that's how I was able to work with Unity and work with the amazing students there. I got to learn so much about the program. A lot of the things I learned just from that one conference, we are integrating into NICALP. I mean, I brought all these ideas. I'm like, look what Unity's doing. They're doing this, 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 this. We need to do that. So I absolutely love Unity and the mission and what they're all about. And you know, any anytime I can go to the the conferences and meet other Unity members, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I love Unity too because when you participate in the conference, you see the impact that Unity has on the life of Indigenous youth and how they find a place where they can feel safe. They can learn, they can be among uh, like-minded people. And um, I feel like you're such a great resource uh, to have, like you helping so many people uh, across. And I was wondering, is there a place that people can connect with you if they want to see the things that you're posting? Uh, because I know on LinkedIn, you're very uh, active. I always mm -hmm. see like some really cool posts that you have. Uh, what would you direct people to connect with you? It would be my LinkedIn. It would be definitely my LinkedIn because I put a lot of internships or opportunities, scholarships on my LinkedIn. And it's also an opportunity for people to connect with me uh, to learn about other federal internship programs in general. I, with, Through my work with Unity, I'm trying to build this, I don't know, this thing of indigenous youth in, you know, just passionate about environmentalism. Um, I, I know there's little groups out there, but just a huge cohort of, of youth that are really want to drive this change um, because it has to be the voices of the youth with the knowledge of our elders that is going to make a difference. And um, so if youth are, are out there who have this interest, especially right now, um, indigenous, what they call indigenous ecological knowledge, Western science calls it basically indigenous knowing, our traditional ways of knowing is uh, is huge right now. Um, you got the Braiding Sweetgrass um, book. I can't, uh, can't remember what her name is. Wimmer, I think her name is. Uh, and she came out with a youth guide too for youth interested in and incorporating indigenous knowledge with science um, and learning more about the world. But I really feel like there needs to be this reconnection of you know, indigenous communities with our environment and then advocacy with our indigenous youth with elder knowledge. So if that's something you're interested, please hook me up, you know, look me up on um LinkedIn because I I this, I feel like this is my passion and my calling. Yes, thank you so much for uh, talking to mm -hmm. us. Uh, mm -hmm. Such a great story. I feel like definitely uh, people are going to be inspired by your uh, career and knowing not to give up, to, to listen to the uh, voice of the ancestors. And mm -hmm. as we wrap up here, uh, what would you say it would be uh, an advice that you can give uh, people uh, from all over the world that want to leave the world a better place? What would you say that is one thing they can do, maybe even from home, you know, something that they can start? Because sometimes it can be overwhelming to know, where do I start? Where do, how, how can I make the world uh, better environmentally? That's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> you can read about it in my book. Yeah. <laughs> um, geez, I, you know, it really for people around the world or just people, indigenous people in general, we have this knowledge locked in within us. This is knowledge that is passed down. It's a fire that is passed down to us that we might have forgotten that needs to be awakened. And those, those, 
that knowledge is something that we can all tap into to um, to be better stewards of this environment whether that is learning the place names of our traditional homelands, if that means learning our language, if that means learning our uh, natural food types, if that means, you know, um, learning our songs. I really feel like all of that is in part being um, stewards of our environment because you can't take away the environment from culture. You know, that's one thing I've, I've learned. It is so integrated in all of it, even going out for a walk in some of our sacred spaces, because, you know, our stories are held there. That is important. And passing that knowledge down, learning about it. And I know sometimes our elders, um, like my mother, because she was in the boarding school and uh, she, she didn't teach us our language and she didn't teach us our culture. And I had to I had to go out and find it. Um, I had to go ask other people and sometimes our elders don't want to talk about it, but being curious and, and going in with an open mind to just really explore who we are as indigenous people going out and, and looking at our landscapes in a different way with our stories. I think that's something that, you know, we can all take with us and share with us. Um, and, and in essence, it starts with us, you know, change starts with us. And I think that's the first step that if you want to make a better place in, in, in this world, you, you start with yourself and you start by learning who you are and where you come from and reconnecting with that portion of yourself. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, uh, Brooke. I really appreciate the time, uh, mm -hmm. the wisdom. Uh, this was a great episode. And remember, when you release your book, first place <laughs> you're going to stop at is going to be our podcast to uh, share yes. with our audience. So yes. thank you so much. Agoje. <laughs> Uh, oh, 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 Hagwashi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our conversation with Brooke. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure having Brooke here. And it's heartwarming to know that her hard work has led her to a path of giving back to the, her community. Before you go, I have a small but very important favor to ask you. If you can spare a minute, could you please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts? This is a great way to support our show. And reading the reviews is a shot of motivation to me and the team. It would help us to continue producing this podcast. Thank you so much. Agoje. <laughs>